you are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper. Good to see you. I'm excited to have Elise Miki on the podcast today. And, um, you know, with a little bit of background, we went to high school together. And uh, maybe she can share uh, some about that. <laughs> uh, we may get into it. But uh, we haven't really been in touch. Uh, and maybe we've kind of seen each other online a handful of times in the last 20 years. Um, but recently, as I've gotten more into the podcast and, and, and uh, digital content world, uh, she reached out to me and told me a little bit about the work she's doing with, with horses, uh, and particularly working with people and horses. And it was really interesting. I've been a, a huge fan of animal therapy. Um, it doesn't surprise me that it's so effective, but it's funny that we live in a world that where we've, we've thrown... We've thrown so much at the the mental health and and the whole holistic wellness of people, um, you know, in the forms of pharmacology and, and therapies and 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 interesting and and sh- and telling in a way that that something as simple as spending time with animals uh, is so powerfully healing for us. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I'd like to hear more about, you know, what the last 20 years have been and a bit about your path to this place that we find ourselves now. And hopefully, in the conversation, we can also pull out some of the the things you've learned about what, why it is that, that these animals are so be- beautifully supportive of us learning and growing and healing. So, Elise, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dolphin. Um, it has been a long time, 20 plus years, um, but I'm so excited that our paths finally crossed and in this way, because it seems like divine timing, what's going on with your life and what's going on with mine and that these pods are meeting now is really exciting and uh, I just can't wait to share this with you. Sweet. So yeah, we talked a little bit earlier today about, um, you know, why this, why this work and and I know you shared with me a little bit about working with uh, people with TBI, traumatic brain Mm -hmm. brain injury uh, and that was more in a a kind of occupational therapy uh, or kinesiology uh, kind of context. Yeah. So that is a part of your background and, and you continue to work with some of those people. Uh, but this is a very different way of working with them. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you got into that work and, and then a little bit about the evolution to uh, where horses are now your 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 mechanism. Yeah, definitely. Um, I started my career as a clinical kinesiologist and was working um, underneath occupational therapists and physios with TBI specifically. And I you know, spent almost 10 years working in that field and doing the cognitive remediation with the clients as well as the exercise therapy and it always struck me as strange um, that a lot of the cognitive tasks were done in a clinical setting because that's not where life happens and that's not where these real-time things that we're trying to ask them to apply are actually happening right so it never fully resonated with me in the moment but I didn't have any other training then I just you know did what I knew best at the time um, but looking back now and bringing the horses into this therapy is, to me, <laughs> one of the most amazing experiences for these clients specifically because a lot of the struggle with the TBI, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with TBI, but you know, a lot of the struggle is around social interaction and emotional regulation and basically uh, getting the neurons to fire, right? And it's really hard to replicate that in a clinical setting. Um, it's so much easier outside in nature with these animals to make those connections happen, right? For the humans and with the horse. So as I was working um, with the horses in another capacity, I was reminded of the TBI clients that I used to work with. 
and I realized that I had this amazing ability now to offer them this other kind of therapy. Um, going through the same skills that they used to go through with me, but now I've transformed it into skills with the horses. Um, and it's just working amazing, <laughs> as I've told you about before. But it, um, yeah, it's just, it's so great to finally be able to bring that to life. Right. Because I saw the struggle there. And, and you were saying earlier about how you, you would work with a client for a year and you'd mm -hmm. be you know, struggling mm -hmm. painstakingly to get them to do these little tasks. Yeah. And, and it was a struggle for the clients. Yeah. And, and they, not that they didn't want to succeed, it just wasn't working for them for, you know, I'm sure, an array of reasons. And, and what you were saying earlier is that somehow, because of the, the, the nature of, of the horses, because of uh, our maybe innate way that we want to relate with mm -hmm. nature and with animals and with maybe horses in particular, yeah. these tasks become more like a play. Yeah. It's more like something they want to do versus some task that they, they have to. They're being told they need to <laughs> yeah. do that's supposed to somewhere down the road benefit them, yeah. but actually they, they can't see the picture. So the horses kind of bridge that gap for them. Uh, is there anything you can say about w why you think that is? Yeah, absolutely. I want to touch on one specific skill um, first on that note is around memory and around difficulties with short and long-term memory following TBI. And the memory tasks that are done with the horses, so far knock on wood, are 100% effective. And I think the reason for that is that we're giving them a real-time, real-life um, value to the memory that we're asking them to remember. So what I mean by that is on day one, we teach them the parts of the horse, how the horse communicates with us um, through the ears and the eyes and the tail and the feet. And this is the memory task. They don't know that it's the memory task because we're just going through the parts of the horse. But at the end of the session, when I ask them to recall all these parts, everybody can do it. So why is that? Um, my hypothesis is that when you put a real, you know, a real experience with the task, something that they can relate to and that has a meaning and a purpose to them, you can remember it, right? And I, I wish, thinking back, that I had known that then, <laughs> working with them, rather than just trying to memorize a list of words that have no meaning. But when you bring this live being into the circle, and now there's a reason and a, a wanting to know these things, the memory skills are actually there. They just needed to have that meaning attached to them. Right. Right. And I mean, there's the implications of that, like what you just said, in terms of the human condition, in terms of limitation, in terms of where we think we can't do something, but maybe there, the possibility is there and we don't yet, or we're not currently in relationship with the meaning that would get us there, the, the, the meaning that would bridge that gap for us. So, you know, maybe you tell me a little bit more. You said that you, you kind of get them to learn something they don't know they're doing the task. Mm -hmm. do you, any other examples of that that you find really effective <laughs> where you're trick, kind of tricking people into learning? Yeah. Um Another one that comes to mind is the problem-solving tasks. So with traumatic brain injury, a lot of the time there's difficulty with that frontal lobe executive functioning, which is where we plan and decision-make and logic and reason. Um, so that's something that is typically a struggle. Um, but the way that I engineer these activities is that I give them a problem to solve, uh, whether it be, hey, you know, here's a box, here's a horse, <laughs> you've learned all the parts of the horse, you've learned how to move the horse. How would you be able to get that horse in the box, you know, going to the left, let's say. 
And it sounds really simple in theory, um, but it's not because there's a lot of decisions that have to be made along the way. Which way am I starting out? How am I going to ask the horse forward? What do I do if the horse doesn't come forward? So such a simple task, I say in quotations, um, actually is quite a complex decision making and problem solving task. And then my job at the end is to facilitate that and say, hey, you just made, you know, five decisions and you solved the problem that I gave to you and the light bulb goes off, right? Because they, like you had spoken about um, that self-limiting sort of cycle, right? That they don't think they can do it. Maybe they couldn't do it before, but when given this like real world, real world application, um, those neurons do work. Mm. And um, the moment when they realize that is just incredible because you can see their face just light up like, I did it. I've never been able to do that, right? Um, so that's sort of the essence of it, but the skills, they go on and on. I've got about 15 to 20 different tasks and skills around each of problem solving, decision making, negotiation, leadership, uh, the list goes on. Um, how, how did the program come together? Like, I know this isn't the only place in the world where horses are being used, <laughs> working with people. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about, you know, are there resources you, you looked to or reached to to help you construct? Has it been very much an organic internal process of you creating? I'm just kind of curious about the, like how it is formatted the way it is now. Yeah. So what I did when I had this light bulb idea in my head of how do I bring these two worlds together now is I sat down and I sort of made a list of all the skills that I used to work on with my kinesiologist clients. And then I sat down and thought up what activities could I do with the horse that would actually be working on each skill. So that was sort of like the brief framework. But then when I went down the rabbit hole of actually trying to get certified and insured for this work, um, you know, that's when I realized this is a quite a large undertaking. I had to go back and get multiple certifications just in the equine assisted um, therapy world, uh, additional insurance, additional training for myself. So it wasn't as easy as I had envisioned. Um, but finally, once I sort of ticked all those boxes, then I had this program ready to go and um, basically just launched it and haven't looked back yet. Um, it's going well. We're in our second year right now. So, and so are you, like I assume a lot of the TBI clients you're working with have other supports. They're accessing other kinds yeah. of therapy and help. Yeah. Um, are there particular ones that seem most synergistic with the equine therapy? Like, how are you? Well, how way, are you coordinating that? Yeah. Support? The way that it's working right now is I'm working in conjunction with occupational therapists and physiotherapists, and that's just from my experience being in the field. I had kept all my contacts from when I was previously a kinesiologist. So when I launched this program, I reached out to everybody that I knew and I made this webinar um, explaining the services. So now how it works is typically the OT or the PT will call me if they feel they have a good fit for the program. So nobody comes to the program that didn't want to come to the program. There's nobody's being forced to be here. Um, the OTs and PTs simply let the client know that there's this program available. Um, that they may qualify for funding through ICBC and then it's up to the client. So by the time it gets to me, the client wants to be here. They've watched the webinar. They've met with their OT or PT. They've said, yes, please. Um, so that's huge, right? Because there's already that desire to engage in this type of therapy. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's so huge. I, I worked with at-risk kids for many, many years and and you know, there's a lot of things that we did that really worked. Mm -hmm. But what I saw through all of it is that if, if 
the youth weren't choosing to be there, mm -hmm. if they felt like somehow they needed to be there because someone said so, mm -hmm. it wasn't going to happen. Like It just wasn't going to work. So it's lovely that that's the way. Is there a, a component of education and advocacy that you think is needed? Like some people might go, oh, like working with horses, like whatever. Why would I do that? So I'm curious about that that side of the equation, so that so that the OTs and PTs know. Maybe yeah. some of them aren't so open-minded. Yeah. And and in terms of the general public, in terms, you know, maybe someone has a cousin or an uncle or a, or a partner, and they need therapy, but they don't immediately think of horses. So, mm. so is there a part of your work that's about educating people? Yeah, welcome to the struggle. Um, <laughs> equine assisted learning, equine assisted therapies, equine facilitated therapies, these are all the different names that go with this profession. And it's really um, not mainstream yet. There's many of us working to get it out there um, because it turns out that this actually has been around a very long time. Um, the US and over in the UK and Europe, they've actually been doing this type of work for over 50, 60 years, successfully um, research papers being written about it. Unfortunately, here in Canada, I, I found that it wasn't that well understood. Um, when I w approached ICBC, I did have to bring, you know, hundreds of research articles to prove that this is evidence based, nonetheless, right. Um, and yeah, that is constantly I'm out there I'm trying to let everybody know about this because I don't think a lot of people know that this type of therapy exists I don't think they know why it's so effective and I don't think they know that they would even qualify for it right yeah well you were talking earlier about um, you know the, the science and, and then there's sort of this spiritual energetic yeah. ethereal <laughs> side that that people maybe don't want to go to or you know I, I don't have an issue I, I believe in in um, Science knows this too, you know, there's the whole world of what we can see and touch and taste and feel. And then there's this whole reality beyond <laughs> or beneath that, yeah. that we have no perceptual access to, but we know it's there. Yeah. We know it's informing everything. We know that it, it, it allows everything we see and feel to happen. And so, so, you know, what does that mean? I don't know, but I know it's there. And so, you know, when people talk about that kind of energetic piece, mm -hmm. I think we can make up stories about it, but, but there's also something real about it. So I'm curious in terms of, I love geeking out on the science. So, <laughs> yeah. so I'd love to hear about kind of what, what the research has been and, and what, um, you know, what kind of powerful results have, have been realized yeah. uh, and documented through equine therapy. Yeah. And then how does, how do we interpret that in terms of these energetics or, you know, you talk about electromagnetic fields mm -hmm. of, of, of what, the, what a biological system creates around it and, and how that interacts with other biological systems. Uh, I'm interested in all of that. So wherever you want to start. <laughs> it's just, this is a big topic. Yeah, okay, good. Let's, go, to let's jump in. Jump in. Um, scientifically speaking, the studies that are being done are around what you spoke about around the electromagnetic field. What is that? What is the relevance of that? Furthermore, there's a wonderful group of scientists working to study the electromagnetic field of horses specifically, and horses with humans in interaction. So this is a hot topic right now, and there's a lot of research being done, thank goodness, right? Because they're bringing it out into the mainstream, which is what we want. Um, but let's start with the electromagnetic field. I think that's the biggest piece of what makes this work with the horses so effective and why that is. Um, do you know what an electromagnetic field is? <laughs> well, I mean, a, a magnet creates an electromagnetic field. Yeah. 
so different kinds of substances and configured in certain ways create this electromagnetic field. It, the electromagnetic field itself is everywhere. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it <laughs> registers differently based on the materials that are at play. Um, and uh, it's it's one of the primary forces in the universe. Yeah, so, I mean, absolutely. You can, you can fill in the blanks But there. I'm going to say, okay, <laughs> so where does electromagnetic field come from? Yeah, it's everywhere. But it, it goes back to grade 10 science. I think I've, I've spoke about this before. Um, it goes back to the smallest unit of life. That would be the atom, right? So the constituents of the atom are protons and neutrons in the center, and then you have electrons cycling around in the shell. Those cycling electrons are what create energy, okay? So those moving particles, that's where we get energy from. Now, getting into our bodies, all of our cells are made up of atoms, right? They come together to form cells. Those cells congregate to form organs, okay? So you see where I'm going. Um, so what is happening is that people are studying this electromagnetic field becomes combined with all these cells come together to form an organ such as the heart. Now, when they've gone and measured the electromagnetic field around various organs in the body, they found that the heart, by far, is 60 times more powerful magnetically than even our brain. Okay, so that's not what science used to think. Mm. Science used to think that the control center, and hence the largest field, would be around our brain. Mm. Um, that has now been dispelled, in a sense, because there's this new research saying, well, that's not what we found. And what they actually found is that when emotions are going through the body, whether they're good or bad, the heart actually lights up first on EKG and then the brain. So that's a huge question mark there. Well, why is that? And what they're discovering now is that actually the heart is our control center for all of the emotions. It sends a message to the brain instantaneously and the brain interprets that and then sends a message back out to the tissues. Um, so again, that's completely the reverse of what we thought. Now, so that's just the electromagnetic field sort of quick summary, but the purpose of the field in us and them is for protection. So I speak to clients about this. I think we've all, if you walk into your room and you kind of get a bad vibe, what is that, right? Nothing happened to you, but you've got this weird vibe. Oh, I don't feel good here. That is your body, electromagnetic field giving you a warning because the purpose of the field is to protect us, okay? So when a negative energy, whether that be actual danger coming towards us or even just negative emotions coming towards us, we feel that irk, right? But we never really understood why. That's why. <laughs> We're actually feeling this bashing up against our electromagnetic field going, I don't feel good about this. Um, so that's number one is how you can kind of get in tune with that in your own body, that your heart will actually give you a bit of a warning and that's what it intuition you know mm. where we talk about listening to the heart mm. there that's now a science listening to your heart it's not just sort of a, a strange metaphor no or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not just oh listen to your heart follow your heart i mean of course that's beautiful but there's actually this science behind it now that your heart will always give you a warning good or bad and that's what we now call intuition right. now with the horses they're 10 times our size so their heart is about 10 times the size of our heart. So what does that do to that field? It amplifies it about 10 times. So this is why, if you've ever been in the presence of horses and some people, they just feel better and they don't know why, you know, just being in their presence. This is a huge part of that reason because their magnetic field is so massive that it completely overtakes us. 
Now, the reason we feel better is going back to the true nature of the horse is that they're a prey animal. So being a prey animal, they're always seeking balance in their own body for safety. When there's things out of balance, they will leave. So they are drawn into safety and they want to have a neutral charge at all times. And they, they do live in neutrality for the most part, unless there's a danger, they're walking around neutral nine times out of 10. So when we step into their space, they're already coherent because that's their nature is to be calm and grounded with the energies around them. We humans, it feels good, right? But that's why is because that energy field around them is so stable. And if ours isn't, we're immediately drawn into theirs. Um, that's an electromagnetic field sort of law as well is that when there's a stronger field and a weaker field, the weaker field will be drawn into the stronger field. Um, also, the HeartMath Institute is putting out research around this, around those actual electrons, and that when we have a negative emotion, that we have more electrons, more negative charge to us. Now, when you step into the space with the horse and you have a negative emotion, they do one of two things. They either wanna take the electrons from us, right? Because they want to balance, so then we feel better. Or if your energy is too chaotic or too negative, they will leave, okay? So that's why I say to people, you can't fool or lie to a horse because they're just reading the energy that you're giving them and giving you a response. Yeah, so they're, they're sort of a canary in the coal mine. They're, they're registering something that, that might be there in us, but we, especially human beings, I find we have so many blind spots. Mm -hmm. We've kind of conditioned ourselves to not yeah. see or feel things. Yeah. So then the horse becomes this beautiful, powerful, and in a lot of ways gentle uh, opportunity for us to see these blind spots yeah. because they're, you talked about feedback earlier, like they're yeah. constantly giving this immediate, highly sensitive feedback to our internal state and the choices we're making there. Yeah. 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 I mean, so being the prey animal that they are going into that, their whole body's designed for survival and safety. That's how it is in the wild because they, you know, they are actually eaten in the wild just because they're in domesticity here those instincts don't go anywhere. They're still born with them. They still have these highly astute senses that us humans don't have. I mean, there's recorded studies that they can sense car accidents and they can sense, you know, train wrecks five kilometers away. They can sense predators coming into their shell up to five kilometers away. Mm. I mean, it's truly mind boggling when you think about that, right? That how far away they can actually feel and hear energy's coming. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know we, we talked about the the, the research um, I, I'm, I'm curious about a while back I was thinking okay well human beings heal all sorts of ways you know some people find their healing in nature some people meditate some people see a therapist some people you know do some kind of cathartic, cathartic practice some people are doing workshops some people find love and it all heals uh, so for me it's clear that there's there's um, there's a lot of avenues, but I also believe there's, there's some underlying principles that are at play in all of these mm -hmm. different modes. And so, you know, I'm curious about what you feel like, uh, with equine therapy, like, are there first principles or, or essential properties of, of people being with the animals that, that makes them such powerful catalysts for healing and change? Yeah, I think the main thing that I 
notice is that the horses have the ability to bring the person into their body and out of their mind. So a lot of people, we get caught up in our mind all day long, right? With stress and anxiety and we almost commit to this learned helpless behavior that, well, I feel one way on the inside, but I have to say I'm okay on the outside. Um, whereas horses, they simply don't operate that way. They wear their heart on their sleeve per se. Um, so <laughs> when we have a human come into the situation that is, let's say, committed to that learned helplessness, you know, oh, I can't get out of my mind. I'm stuck in this, the way that I feel, the horse will call you out on that. And it's beautiful. It's, it's hard. And sometimes it requires the human to have a, a bit of vulnerability there. What does that look like? What is a horse calling, calling someone out on their, 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 their stuff? It can look like a lot of things. So they, here comes the spiritual piece. I've noticed that they really, they can feel the blockages in people. So I don't know a lot of the time what my clients are coming in with their past, past history. You know, I know that they've had these injuries. I know what they're struggling with cognitively but I don't know the last 30, 40 years of their life. But every time the horse pushes them in the exact way that they needed, and there's no way that I could have known that. Um, so I can give an example around that, you know, one lady came and the horse was pushing into her quite a bit. And we talked about this boundary setting and how does that make you feel when the horse is pushing on you? And she said, well, not great, but that's fine, I guess. And I was like, why is that fine, right? And she's like, well, I mean, he's not being mean, so it's fine. So then we talked about it and I said, but do you feel comfortable setting a boundary with him? Do you like him being standing right on top of you? And she said, well, no. And I said, okay. So, you know, we worked through setting the boundary with the horse. And through that activity, she burst into tears. And I didn't know what was happening. Obviously, this had dredged something up for her. And that was exactly it, you know, when I asked what's going on for you right now she said this has been my struggle since I was about 10 years old I don't know how to say no and I get walked all over and ever since my head injury now it's a hundred times worse and and it's like I don't I don't know how the horse could have known that right didn't ask her about that and he not only knew that that was the lesson that she needed to learn that day um, he drew it out of her and she was successful that day in setting a boundary and she said she'd you know, never ever in her life been able to do that. Now the beauty of it too is working with the horse. It's a safe environment in the sense that it's not another human who's gonna give you verbal feedback into your face, right? It's this gigantic gentle being that's nudging you to be better, right? And nudging you to step up. And um, for her, I, it was absolutely, heartwarming mm -hmm. I just I remember it very clearly as one of the examples of I don't even know the capacity that the horses have I have an idea but their ability to just feel immediately what that person needs and do it and do it with kindness and have her make a breakthrough that she didn't make in 45 years there's just no words for that um, but that's the part I I speak to it energetically because I don't know right mm -hmm. Well, for, for me, I think about how, you know, if you think about human beings, there's a spectrum of, of awareness and an and ability to navigate understanding of other people. So some people have that magic. Some people can tune into, yeah. oh, this is where this person is blocked. 
and a lot of these people get into work of facilitation, transformation, mm -hmm. education, and and then they use their superpower to really reach people. So mm -hmm. so I know that that even though I think you know horses have a particular sense of sensitivity and a particular power in that way, I know it's not separate from us as human beings. Mm -hmm. it, it just I think it's innate in them. And, and maybe it's innate in us, but, but mostly we get taught out of that kind of awareness and intuition. Yeah, I mean, humans are taught to use words as the predominant communication tool, right? And, and, the, mind, and the mind, like instead of being in the heart and in the yeah. body. Instead of being in the feeling, right? And, and actually feeling what that means to be upset or what that means to be happy, like actually feeling all the feels, right? Um, that's a lot of the work that we do as well. So. I think by just nature, because they're so enormous and they're so beautiful, that just being in the presence with them already brings our mind, you know, out and us into our body because they're huge. You also need to be safe, so you have to be present in your body, right? Um, it's just. <laughs> Is that a cough or a sneeze? She's having a cough. Yeah, something in her throat. I think we're good. Yeah, so just that it's it's not even that I have to coach this the clients into being more mindful. They just innately are the moment I bring the horse out. Right. So right off the moment the horse comes out, the person is in their body because they have to be because there's a 1200 pound animal standing in front of them demanding that they pay attention Presence. to them. Presence. Yes, yeah, be, be, be they with want me. you present, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And guess what? Humans want to be with them too. Yeah. So it makes my job so easy because the humans want to connect with this animal, right? And that they're willing to come into their body and they're willing to feel those feelings, right? Because the reward of having this huge animal connect with you, and that is what happens as soon as we can get on that same page with them, there isn't pretty much anything the horse won't do for you mm -hmm. or with you mm -hmm. once you've centered your own body. Yeah, to me, it, you know, without getting too airy fairy, it's like <laughs> it's love, right? The animals so easily love they, they they have no reason and they have no inclination to yeah. to put something in the way of of deeply being with and connecting with others. Yeah. And human beings, we have all of these sort of socially constructed reasons, and have embodied those reasons yeah. of why we should stay closed and hard and separate. And the animals bring that out of us in, yeah, in a lovely absolutely. way. I mean, there's also the part about their brain, um, which is interesting, is that the equine brain is very, very different than the human brain. Um, they have a tiny frontal lobe, okay? So it's about 1 16th the size of ours. The frontal lobe is what's in charge of executive planning, you know, uh, reasoning, logic, decision-making, advanced planning to plotting even. Um, they don't have that. What they do have instead, though, is a cerebellum that is about four times the size of ours. So that really speaks to they are a sensory animal. They're designed somatosensory, right? Like that's how they function in life is that they are able to react, interpret, move, give feedback immediately. Not so much in the advanced planning, which kind of speaks to what you're just saying. They're just living and being in the moment and they don't have these constructs of hate right? That we do because they simply don't live in don't that vibration. They just don't. It's not part of their physiology. Um, that's proven. So that, that's interesting to me because what that makes me think about is 
whatever whatever kind of developmental arenas that that the horse embodies that we embody we can connect on and because the horse doesn't have the executive functioning to connect with the horse we actually have to get out of our head that's correct to be with and connect with the horse we have to be in our body this is true and, and yeah so i'm just i'm just and i think that's true you know i think about uh, i think about cats and dogs and and birds and every animal to really and even i think even plants and trees like to connect with other living things to really connect with it there's a there's a a level of 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 resonance there's a level of sameness that you need to be tuned into mm -hmm. to really be with that other organism mm -hmm. and so that and maybe that's why nature is so healing because nature doesn't have any of the mind no to be really with nature you have to get fully out of your mind and there's so much research so yeah that says that that's how we heal is that we just need to let our mind go yes yeah, yeah absolutely the mind is it's a beautiful thing and it can also be our nemesis right yeah. um we're so lucky we have all these wonderful cognitive skills but left unattended or poorly attended it can actually in turn really go against us right sure. um and and sort of suppress the innate feeling because all beings do have this heart capacity mm. it's just that we have gotten so far away from it i think you know it's hard you're living in the city and it's very hard to stay in that natural state when you have life demands and traffic and rush hour and phones and it's very hard but that is why this is so great because it takes the person out of that setting and puts them into a state where the body recognizes this right and then the horse coming into it is that gentle nudge that you can do this you're mm -hmm. here be in your body right yeah. Are you exclusively working with uh, traumatic brain injury clients? No, um, that's sort of just where it started because I had that, um, I was so concerned about them for many years after having worked kind of unsuccessfully, right? And wishing that I had a better option for them. But after building that program, I have expanded now to mental health and working with youths as well. And now it's pretty much anyone is welcome to come, but unfortunately the funding is only from ICBC at this point. Right. Right. So is there a conversation happening around other support organizations or governing bodies for, you know, youth, youth services, family services, mental health services yeah. to, to extend what they, you know, even like people's, yeah. I am just thinking about people who have uh, benefits through work. Yeah. Like I, I could easily I'm see someone. I'm working on bridging that yeah. gap because I still carry my kinesiologist license and it is a blessing and a curse in that way because some of the companies want that kinesiology license even though it doesn't really have a lot to do with the equine assisted therapy um but it's that bridge for them to be able to put it under some sort of billing that is accepted right, right. i am working to bridge that gap with some insurance agencies and i'm also um in the middle of an approach to work safe bc for mental health programs yeah. well because i mean the 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 societal cost of mental illness is enormous, like mm -hmm. absolutely enormous. And then we have these these therapies and practices that you know. You think, I think about mindfulness and meditation. I think about animal therapy, equine therapy, um, so powerfully effective. And then there's still the sort of the, the dragging of the feet yeah. of a lot of these institutions. Yeah. And I get it, you know, like old things die hard, and and uh, but it, it it's still interesting to me that that things that have have clearly proven their effectiveness yeah. um, get so little uh, bolstering 
yeah. uh, through through in our society and in these organizations. What do you? What's your vision in terms of you're opening it up to more people? There's still not a lot of uh, societal or institutional support <laughs> for those people that fall outside of the TBI range. Yeah. Um, what would you like to see? Like say, 20 years from now, um, and things really go well for for this different style of approach. What do you envision? What would obviously be really nice to see it as a recognized therapeutic modality, right? Right off the bat. Um, I'm also a registered massage therapist, so I am a healthcare professional. I'm regulated by a college. So looking at the direction that I'm getting from my personal college, I would like to see that for this industry as well. Um, I don't know how close we are to that. I know that there's a lot of um, equine assisted therapists really fighting a fight here and really trying to bring this to the government, right, into Healthcare Canada. Um, so I would like to see that, but on a smaller scale, I mean, my vision was at least working towards accessing some of these major populations like the mental health, um, PTSD. I know that there's a lot of um, sort of groups and stuff that are specific to PTSD. I'm, I would like to be able to reach out to them. So at least for myself, get this out as much as I can to these groups, but really, I mean, it's it takes time. Right. If I think about my profession as an RMT, that wasn't recognized for 30 years. It was actually quite recently that that became regulated, even though they were fighting for that regulation for a really long time. Kinesiology still hasn't obtained regulation through Healthcare Canada, right? Mm -hmm. So these things take time. And I think that the evidence that we're building now is going to help. So programs like mine, I document everything. I keep all my chart notes and all my stats so that I can build a case to the government when that time comes. Have you have you had anybody out to do any kind of research? Like I could imagine a master's <laughs> or a PhD student in, in, in psychology or mental health wanting to really dive into to the impact of equine therapy. Like has have those conversations happened? Not yet. No. Well maybe <laughs> I would through the, love to maybe invite someone that listens to the podcast. Anyone <laughs> listening to the podcast who wants to get their thesis done? Yeah. Um, get in touch. I think one of the only barriers is that I mean, I only have four horses in my herd, so it may not be a high enough <laughs> subject number, right? Because no. you would want a number of interactions. Mm. Um, but that being said, I know that the HeartMath is doing a lot of uh, research just one-to-one. -one. I mean, they're doing it with multiple subjects, but one-to-one -one sort of every couple months, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm open to it. I'm here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different kinds of, of studies. It could be longitudinal. It could be, uh, you know, more on the subjective side, like like a, a kind of phenomenological research of, of people's experiences with mm -hmm. the animals. And I, I just really like, I like it when something really simple does it, when it really addresses <laughs> the things that we've been struggling with. And 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 uh, I love the idea of of using science to reveal what in a way we already know deep down which is it's simple things yeah. that, that line us back up that that heal us that bring us back together when we've been kind of broken so to speak well yeah and the ones that are coming to mind right now is the last research study that i read um by HeartMath that they were measuring heart rate variability and their study is that they would take heart rate variability measure. So that's the difference between when your heart goes up and down and it kind of gives a uh, indication to the person's sympathetic versus parasympathetic input. So when we're stressed out and the heart rate goes up, we have a high heart rate variability. Now, that's okay in the short term, right? If we need to run from something, but as I'm sure you're aware, sustained sympathetic state 
is really hard on our parasympathetic system. Okay, our adrenals get tired, our cortisol levels go through the roof. It's too much epinephrine, right, running through our body. So they took these measures of these um, subjects, measured their heart rate variability, all quite high heading into the um, study. And then they put them with the horse and then they measured the heart rate variability at different intervals. So five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. What they found in every single situation is that within a few minutes, the heart rate variability had dropped, okay? And it had leveled off. It was now coherent. What other explanation, right, do they have is that all we did was put this person with the animal. Uh, conversely, the horse's heart rate vari variability was never high to start and it was unchanged. So, I mean, that research right there is exactly what you're saying is it's so simple those people aren't even doing anything with the horse. It's just the presence of that animal brings their heart into coherence. <laughs> so then you can add on these skills of emotional regulation with the animal and you can just see why it's so effective, right? Yeah, and, and, and my hope, you know, my question about 20 years from now, my hope is that, that we we loosen our grasp on what we think we know enough and, and yeah. loosen our grasp on how things have been and, and how things are to see more clearly what works, what simply and plainly works. And then I, I think it's important to recognize that there is a cost in transitioning from what we've mm -hmm. used to any new way of being and new way of, of, of using modalities or technologies. Like it, it's not there's some heavy lifting there yeah so but so. it is it's interesting because you're right you know this is the simplest um self-regulation sort of activity that there is but it's sustainable because you're actually teaching the person how to regulate their own body so there's no need for medication anymore once you've given them the tools to regulate right um so that's why i'm shocked actually that mm. it's not coming more to the forefront but I mean, the medical costs would be cut dramatically because we're we're just basically teaching how to emotional regulation, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's the the challenge with advocating for prevention is you never get to see for sure. The, like you know, if there's an issue and then you find a fix for the issue, yeah. you can say, okay, here's you know ROI on our investment, and prevention doesn't really work that way, even though we know it works. And we actually know it works better than being reactionary. <laughs> yeah, well, it's sustained, right? Because you learn a skill in your body, you now know how to do that thing. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to be reminded how to do that thing once you understand how to do that thing. Yeah, yeah, and and I could easily see it becoming, whether it's with horses or other animals, or just taking some of the 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 core principles of of why it is these animals are able to do that and. How do we bring that into the schools? How do we mm -hmm. have children learn at a young age what it means to, to have a coherent heartbeat, to yeah. be self-regulated, to, to, to be in their bodies, yeah. to, to listen to the intuition of their heart? Like these pieces, um, you know, I, I think that the, the pushback is that they, they don't seem super solid or tangible, yeah. but they work. Yeah, I mean, I'd say there are some equine-assisted programs in Canada that are funded by the school board, so right. that's exciting. Cool. So there's a few. Is that relatively new? Um, yeah, I want to say within maybe the last five years. I know in Calgary, the Calgary School Board um, is on board and is providing funding. And then recently I heard about Kelowna um, getting funding for one sort of high school module, so it would run the course of the year of high school, that they're going to be working with the horses on these types of skills, right? Um, there's so many different, I mean, my program is focused on TBI, 
But if you look at the other youth programs, they put greater focus into, you know, negotiation and anti-bullying and um, how to have confrontations assertively, not aggressively, right? So they're giving those kinds of skills. Uh, Mine are more geared towards the cognitive sort of tasks that need to happen every day so that people can become functional in their lives again, right? Right. But there's no limit to the types of skills. You just need the skilled facilitator to... Good, and and we need more of those. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, Elise... It's been really sweet. I've enjoyed being on your land and, and meeting your horses and, and getting to see you again and, and yes. chatting about this beautiful work. Uh, if people who are listening to the podcast want to get a hold of you or, or learn more about, about what the work you're doing, how do they do that? Uh, yeah, I think my website would be the best place. So it's Equilibria Therapeutics. Um, I, I'll, I'll have the link, so don't worry yeah. too much about the spelling. <laughs> it's it's but, a little yeah, bit of a be, hard one to spell. It'll be in the description. Hindsight's twenty twenty when you're picking a domain. A name? Yeah. <laughs> so cute. there's the website, and then, of course, I do have a Facebook business page where I share, you know, some of the stories that are going on. I, I'm also an equine therapist, I should say, and a human therapist. So my business is three-tiered, so there'll be stories on all those things, but most certainly as well, the equine-assisted therapies. And then I do have an Instagram page. It's not that active, but... I'm definitely there. <laughs> so that's at EQ Therapeutics. Cool. And and for you, just like as a finishing note, um, anything in particular that this work has supported for you, like anything you've brought back to your life or your <laughs> way of relating, your self-awareness, your relationships with others? Uh, yeah. What do you notice about all of that? That's a really good question because um, it kind of brings this whole... Uh, circle back um yeah the i've struggled with these things too um with being in my mind and letting anxiety and worry and stress get the better of me and when i rescued these horses and i started working with them they quickly taught me that that will not do and that i need to be better and more present um so my learning is really still going on with them but they opened up my entire heart to to that right and I mean, they've completely changed my life and that's why I really now want to share that gift with everyone else. And it sounds cheesy, but it really is because I know the ability that they have to turn it around for anybody, right? Um, and yeah, for myself, it's been astronomical, just the amount of changes that I've gone through and the way that I um, cope with life now um, after having this understanding and of how to regulate too. And then also just trusting my intuition more. They've really taught me about that and about connecting myself to my body. I, I didn't used to be good at that either, you know. I struggled with that. I would work out and do yoga and stuff, and I felt connected, quote-unquote. But I never really felt connected to my inner wisdom or voice or whatever way you want to call it. And my lessons with them was that they drew that out of me. Mm-hmm. And some days it wasn't pretty. <laughs> and... um they pushed me and they made me feel really uncomfortable in my own body to the point that I had no other choice but to grow or give up. Mm. And I chose to grow and I'm still growing, but you know, yeah, they've touched me so deeply that that's why I'm so passionate about this now and just letting everyone know. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. It's been a pleasure and, and I hope we get to do it again sometime. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Pleasure. You are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper.